listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Good morning, Faith Church. We are the West family, and today we are going to be doing the scripture reading both in English and in Romanian. Today's scripture reading is Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only into his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Deci, dacă este vreun îndemn în Hristos, dacă este vreo mângâiere în dragoste, dacă este vreo părtășie în Duhul, dacă este vreo milostivire și vreo îndurare, faceți-mi bucuria de plină și aveți aceeași gând, aceeași dragoste, uniți într-un suflet și un gând. Nu faceți nimic din ambiție sau din slavă de șartă, ci în smerenie să-i priviți pe alții mai presus de voi înșiva. Fiecare din voi să nu aibă în vedere doar foloasele lui, ci și foloasele altora. Între voi să fie gândirea aceasta, care era și în Hristos Isus. El, măcar că avea chipul lui Dumnezeu, n-a socotit dreptul în locul de apucat de a fi deopotrivă cu Dumnezeu, ci s-a dezbrăcat de sine însuși și a luat chip de rob și s-a făcut asemenea oamenilor. La învățișare a fost găsit ca un om, s-a smerit, a fost ascultător până la moarte și încă moarte de cruce. De aceea și Dumnezeu l-a anunțat nespus și a dăruit numele care este mai presus de orice nume, pentru ca în numele lui Isus să se plece orice genunchi din ceruri, de pe pământ și de sub pământ, și orice limbă să dea mărturie, că Isus Hristos este Domn, spre slava lui Dumnezeu Tatăl. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, let me ask you all, uh, which is it harder for you to do? Uh, to serve others or to let others serve you. Uh, we were spending some time with Amelia's folks in Florida over Thanksgiving, and Amelia and uh, Isabel, our daughter, and I decided we were going to ride our bikes to the post office to mail off some postcards that Amelia had written. And uh, we got about two blocks uh, away from her folks' place when Amelia took uh, a bad tumble off of her bike and landed on her arms to break her fall. And being Amelia, she got up and said, I'm fine, and proceeded to ride the rest of the one and a half miles to the post office, holding her handlebars by her fingertips because she was in so much pain. Uh, we uh, got her back from the post office and uh, talked to a doctor over the you know, telemedicine call, and we all agreed it's probably just a soft tissue sprain and uh, just take some ibuprofen, it'll get better. But it didn't get better, and we got back, and Amelia's pain got worse, and it was harder for her to do things. She went to a doctor here, took an x-ray, and it turns out that she has fractured the end of the bone on each arm right near her elbow. 
Uh, and that means that uh, she kind of has to keep her arms uh, close to her sides, not lift too much. Uh, you can't turn things. Do you realize how much you use those joints for opening a car door or putting on a seat belt or starting an ignition or taking a lid off of a Tupperware or picking up bags or washing dishes or putting on a sweater? So Amelia hasn't been able to do all those things by herself or without much pain recently, so I've been helping her lately, which I've been glad to do for the most part. <laughs> now, it helps that Amelia is kind and appreciative, but let me ask you again, which is it harder for you to do, to help others or to let yourself be helped? maybe depends on the person needing the help and the kind of help you're being asked to give. Because there are some things that we don't want to do for anyone. There are some things we don't want to let anyone do for us, and there are some people that we don't want to do anything for. As I said, Amelia has been gracious and appreciative and thankful. But what if she was thankless and resentful? and rude about me helping her? What if for you it's the bully at school or that neighbor with the dog that barks all night long or that difficult aunt or uncle that you don't really want to see around the holidays or that frustrating coworker or that person with that yard sign out front? What if they needed really big help? like the kind of help that you didn't really want to be asked to give to them. You know, during Advent, we take a deep dive into a particular passage of Scripture, and we look at it through the lens of the big story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, and glory or restoration. And we're spending time in Philippians 2, noticing how we were created for unity with God and with each other that was broken by sin and has been restored by Christ and will one day be our eternal experience. And this week we come to look at the cross to see how Jesus' reconciling work is not just the basis for unity, but the model, the example of what unity looks like. So here's the key idea for today. Uh, kids, if you're following along at home or in your sermon notes, to come together, we have to look crossward. Remember, we started by saying to come together, we have to look backwards to creation. We have to look inwards to see what we contribute to the problem of disunity. And today, we want to look crosswords. We want to look at what God has done for us in Jesus and what that means for us. Because Jesus' sacrificial self-giving is the basis for expressing grace and unity among God's people. Because it's in the cross, you see, that God's outlandish, outrageous love is expressed. It's fully manifested. And that self-giving love of Jesus is what creates and what defines Christian unity. Because, you see, knowing Jesus isn't just about knowing things about him. It's about having a relationship with Jesus so that we come under his authority and his spirit lives in us to reproduce his life through us. 
we receive a whole new kind of life in Jesus, and we enter this kind of cross-shaped kingdom that's shaped by unity and love and peace and forgiveness and other-centeredness. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Philippians 2, and we're going to focus on verses 5 to 8 this week as we look at what Jesus does in his incarnation and in his work on the cross to bring us together. And we'll also see how looking at that cross is what becomes the structure, the foundation for our unity. So we're going to see that in four ways. And the first is this. To come together, we need to look at what Christ was willing to give up. To come together, we look at what Christ was willing to give up. Now, I know at this season, we obviously are celebrating, we're remembering that Jesus actually came and took on human flesh. But we've heard that so many times. I think maybe sometimes we're in danger of missing exactly how amazing that is. That Christ, that God himself would lower himself from eternal glory, from unlimited majesty, from the worship of all creation, to a morally perfect environment to enter into our broken, messed up reality. That is amazing. Look at how Paul puts it in the end of verse 5. That Christ, who was in the form of God, did not count being equal with God, a thing to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Paul wants us to be, I think, kind of amazed at a divine mystery here. How can an immortal, eternal, spiritual being of complete holiness and justice become one of us? But the Son of God did. And not just in appearance, that, that's not what Paul's getting at when he says uh, being born in the likeness of men. He's reinforcing that Jesus did not change his essential nature. He is fully God and fully man. He is like us in every way and yet, of course, is sinless and perfect. But Christ made himself of no reputation when he took on our humanity. One old Christian writer put it this way, it was more humility in Christ to humble himself to the womb than to humble himself to the cross. What he's getting at is this. See, we could understand someone sacrificing himself and, and dying for someone else. But he says it it was not so much for flesh to suffer, but for God to be made flesh. That's the wonder of humility. And Jesus Christ could have easily thought, I am God. Why would I leave behind glory and perfection and worship and authority and power to become a human? And, and not just a human, I was talking with someone between services and saying, you know, God could have done it like, you know, one of those Greek myths where the gods come down as like a fully formed human being. No, God actually becomes a baby. Jesus humbles himself 
not just to take on human flesh, but to have to be fed and changed and to be led by the hand by one of his own creation. You know, Amelia has, I think, experienced a little bit of that recently because she's had to let go of being able to do things for herself. She's had to let go of self-reliance and, and her own image of herself as strong and competent and cap capable of doing things to let me open doors for her and take the lids off of Tupperware and bring things in from the car and help her take a sweater off. I mean, that's humbling, right? There, there's a part of us that doesn't want to have to let people help us. Think of what that was like for Christ and, and what he was willing to give up to enter into our world to make unity possible. Because that's where unity comes from. It's laying aside privilege and advantage, or, or we could say using our privilege and advantage for the sake of others. Because that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to take all the privilege and the advantage and, and the power and the authority and limit it or, or pour it into a limited form for the sake of others. What is it that you think you have a right to? A, a right to hold on to, a right to demand, a right to expect from others. All of us have been given some amount of rights or privileges or, or abilities. Jesus took all of that that he had and humbled himself, humbled himself in the most profound and amazing way in order to become one with us to make unity possible for all who receive him. So maybe one of the things to ask ourselves is, what is it that I maybe don't want to give up? What, what rights or expectations or things that I think I deserve? Because when we look at Jesus, we see what he is willing to give up to create unity. But more than that, look at what Christ was willing to become. Look at what he was willing to become. Look again in verse 7. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself. Now, Christ doesn't really empty himself of some thing, some quality or essence of his nature, but Paul, I think, tells us what that emptying looks like by taking on the form of a servant. He is still God, and yet he pours himself out to become a doulos in Greek, a, a bond slave, the lowest person on the rung of the social ladder. Some of you may be familiar with the story as John tells it of Jesus last evening with his disciples and having loved them who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love, or he loved them to the end, and Jesus bends down and takes up a towel and washes the dirty, grime-smeared feet of his disciples. He takes on the nature of a doulos. But it's not just in washing his feet that he becomes a servant. It's in his intercessory prayer. It's in his whole life. It's in everything that he does. 
And, and he says to them, you call me teacher and Lord, which is right because that's what I am. And now that I, your teacher and Lord, have shown you what it is to love, this is how you're to love one another as a servant. Our daughter Isabel works as a servant at uh, a, a quick serve restaurant near us. You know, one of those places where you go in and you order at the counter and uh, they make your food while you watch and then you go down the line and, and you pay. And because of the COVID epidemic, like most restaurants, they have a mask requirement. And just about every time she comes home from a shift at work, she has another story to tell of someone who comes in and says, I can't believe I have to wear a mask. This is stupid. I'm not putting one of those things on to come in here. Or then they, you know, kind of angrily put a mask on and then they walk down the line and get to Isabel at the cash register where she's forced to stand as a part of her service and someone will get within two feet of her and pull their mask down and say, I can't breathe in one of these things. I can't hear myself talk. And she has to stand there and let people cough and sneeze on her as part of her service. It's sort of, you know, this attitude of, I don't want to, and I shouldn't have to. It's the kind of thing that Paul is warning us against and, and pointing us away from earlier in this section. Having the same love, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, considering others better than yourselves. Jesus' emptying of himself, you see, is, is a contrast to the kind of the vain glory and the putting ourselves ahead that we sometimes see or we sometimes live out. Unity doesn't come from surrendering what's essential. See, Jesus is still God, but how long is your list of things that you're not willing to give up? How long is your list of you know, things that you just won't compromise on. I, I shouldn't have to be inconvenienced. I, I shouldn't have to worship with people that, you know, don't agree with me on this thing or that secondary issue or this political issue or this contemporary social stand or, or how we do things or church should be easy, it should be comfortable, we, everyone should agree with me and, and the way I think things ought to be done. You know, unity comes from looking at myself as a servant, lowering myself to lift others up. That's what Jesus does. That, that's what the gospel is. Jesus gave up the splendor of his heavenly glory in order to take on the nature of a servant and to come and humble himself to lift us up. If you want more unity, you want more joy, look for ways to serve others. Maybe on your list is things like, you know, I would never do that. That's not in my job description. Somebody else can take care of that. That's not what I'm here for. Unity comes from yielding my rights for the sake of serving others. It doesn't mean we make ourselves doormats. It doesn't mean we open ourselves up to abuse or maltreatment. But Jesus was obedient to the Father's will and was willing to humble himself in order to serve us. And, and when, when that's my focus, when that's our focus, it builds unity. Look at what Jesus was willing to give up. Look at what Jesus was willing to become 
and then look at what Jesus was willing to do, how that servanthood gets lived out. Jesus goes down, 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 down from heaven, down to frail humanity, down to death on a cross. The most humiliating form of public death that can be invented in the ancient world. That's what Paul is pointing out in verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Not just any death, Paul says, even this death. Death on a cross. The sinless son of God was executed in the most humiliating and shameful way that could be invented by being stripped naked, hung outside the town as an enemy of the people for everyone to mock and laugh at. That's not like us. I mean, that is not like me. That's not what I want to sign up for. The cross is God's contradiction. It's his challenge to our selfish ambition and empty conceit and considering myself ahead of others. It's his demonstration of what he is like and what life in his kingdom is like. Jesus says that his kingdom is not like the ones of this world. It's not about power. It's not about grasping. It's not about exercising authority. It's not about domineering. Everything Jesus does is demonstrating that his kingdom is one of laying down our rights to ourselves for the sake of loving and serving others. Using our resources for the benefit of others. That is the wonder, the joy, the the impossible but true reality that God wants us to not miss in Advent, in, in what we celebrate here. You know, back in the 80s, uh, I liked a group called Hall and Oates. Some of you may uh, remember them, kind of, they were, they were known as sort of blue-eyed soul, a couple of white guys who sounded like R&B artists. And uh, one of their hits was uh, called, I Can't Go For That. And the chorus has this great repeated line. Yeah, I'll do almost anything that you want me to, but I can't go for that. No, no can do. And I always wanted to know, like, what are they talking about? Like, that sounds kind of interesting. I, I wonder, what, wonder what they were being asked to do, which is kind of the genius of the song, right? Like, it makes you want to hear the chorus again and again because you, you put yourself into it. What is it that you'd fill in that blank with? I, I do almost anything for Jesus or, or for God's people, but I, I'm not going to do that. I didn't sign up for that kind of lowering myself. What is it that you won't go for? Where do you draw the line? Again, not talking about humiliating ourselves, not talking about opening ourselves up to abuse. Look at how low Jesus went to love, to serve, to give, to save. Look at what he endured to make unity possible. How low are you willing to go in the sense of laying down your rights to yourself, your, your claims, your demands, your expectations? Because when we look at what Jesus is willing to do, then it changes how we look at 
what we might be asked to do and the things that might be unpleasant or inconvenient or difficult or costly or beneath us. And the real kicker is the people that Jesus is willing to do this for. Look at who Jesus is willing to love. I mean, it's obvious, right? But, man, I need to be reminded of it. Jesus did not go to the cross for himself. He went to the cross for me. He had no need of rescuing himself. He's sinless and perfect. And Jesus lays aside all the privileges or uses all the privileges and power and authority that he has to take on the nature of a servant, to become obedient to death on a cross for disobedient, selfish, rebellious, hard-hearted people like you and me and like all who will come to him and trust in him. Oh, that we would not lose the wonder of the cross. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years almost now. And believe me, I, there's the temptation to, to lose the wonder of what God has actually done for us in Christ. Because we've heard the story so many times and it can just become background noise. Oh, if anything, fight not to lose the wonder and the joy that I deserve death and condemnation and judgment and wrath. And God pours it out on his son so that I can receive life and forgiveness and love and delight and acceptance as an unconditional, unbreakable gift that I receive by simply clinging to Jesus. And that's true of all those annoying, frustrating, difficult people that we have a hard time loving to. Love always involves self-denial. We can deny ourselves without loving, but we cannot love ourselves without denying. We cannot love others without denying ourselves. See, I can deny myself things in order to make myself look good, in order to impress my boss, in order to get a job that I want, in order to you know, look attractive to someone, in order to earn money, in order to gain someone's trust. I can deny myself things without loving people at all but I cannot love people without denying myself in some way because that is love. It is saying, I want what is good for you. I want to bless you. I want to serve you. And Jesus does that for undeserving us so that we now become the people who look like him and go and do that for others who are also just as undeserving. The love that we're called to reflect is nothing more than the love that we have received. Jesus wants to pour out his love through us, the love to undeserving people, a love that seeks the good of others, a love that seeks to give rather than receive, a love that is not based on people deserving it. So who are the people on your list that you don't honestly want to love that way? Because I think we've all got them. And what creates unity is a recognition that I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, and they don't deserve it, and that's what makes us equal. That's what makes us all equal. So love as you have been loved. 
And when those who love you or those whom you try to love may sometimes return that with ingratitude or criticism or rejection or uncaring, don't hold on to a grudge. Jesus knows what it's like to be spitefully used, to be taken advantage of. And he loves you and pours his love into your heart so that you can keep on loving the way that he has. Those people that are difficult to love, look at them through the cross. That's why we need to look crossward. Because those are people that God loves and Jesus went to the cross to make it possible for them to be saved and loved and forgiven and welcomed into God's family just like we were. Just like you can be if you never have been. This is the third Sunday of Advent, the season that the church has traditionally celebrated four weeks leading up to Christmas. And this third week is known as Gaudete Sunday in some traditions. Uh, In the ancient church going back for many centuries, uh, Gaudete is Latin from the kind of the call to worship from Philippians 4 that was traditionally used on this third Sunday of Advent, where Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And so on this Sunday, we light this uh, pink candle that looks different from the purple ones that have this, you know, a sense of darkness and, and somber to remind ourselves of the joy, the joy that God has come to give us in Christ, the joy that God has poured out in our hearts through his Son. Uh, That same old uh, Christian theologian I quoted earlier also wrote this, Behold, what manner of love is this, that Christ should be arraigned, that Christ should be tried and arrested, and we should be adorned. Oh, what joy. What joy that unites our hearts. That the disfavored become the favored, that mourning is turned into gladness, that spiritual brokenness becomes spiritual riches. And our disgrace, our anti-grace, our lack of grace becomes full of grace in Christ. As we remember how Christ denied himself, humbling himself, making himself obedient to death, even death on a cross, let us have that same love. Let us look to what Jesus was willing to give up, what he was willing to take on, what he was willing to become, and who he was willing to love so that we would be motivated and shaped by that love of Christ to lead to deeper unity and deeper joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you have sent your son who is not just come to make it possible for us to go to heaven someday, but has come to bring heavenly reality and life to us. To live in your cross-shaped kingdom where we go up by going down, where the last is first and the least is the greatest. Oh, Father, help us to love and trust and follow Jesus in that way to know your joy, and to deepen our unity with you and each other. We pray 
with gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.